Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at Critically Acclaimed. Is this We've Got Mail After Dark? <laughs> uh, yeah, my name is William DeBiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. <laughs> welcome to Critically Acclaimed Nights. <laughs> oh, God, we're going to... Do one season doing stupid crime fighting, and then the next season doing stupid monster hunting. Um, this is the podcast here, the critically acclaimed uh, a channel where we read your emails and we answer your questions and respond to your criticisms and your ideas, and uh, basically we we yield the floor as much as we can. We don't have time to read every email, but we do our best, and we want to have a good conversation about the ones that we do read. Uh, so if you want to join in, the email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Once again, that's letters. At criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, there's not much more to it than that, really. So uh, let's just, oh, away we go. Let's yeah, not dilly dally. We, we missed last week because I got sick. We had a lot um, of uh, catching up to do. So I'm glad you're better. Here we are with your letters. I'm trying. Here's, here's a letter from James. Yeah. Uh, Bibbs and Whitney, uh, I fixed Star Trek. Ooh. Oh, thank goodness. Didn't know it was broken. Yeah. Yeah, actually. <laughs> CBS All Access is no more. Uh, <laughs> not the shows, but the J.J. Abrams movie from 2009. Oh. Although it was highly acclaimed when it was first released, and sentiment for most moviegoers was at least pretty positive, it seems from my perspective that reception to it has cooled over the years. I rewatched it a year ago, and once again recently I've determined the problem. Hmm. I am not at all a Trek follower. I don't know the proper terms these days. Just say Trekkie. It's Trekkie fine. is fine. Uh, but during the initial rewatch, I came away with a simple conclusion. The opening act of the 2009 Star Trek film is quite possibly the most useless 28 minutes of cinema that has ever been filmed. <laughs> no meaningful character arcs are set up and no necessary plot detail is brought up here that isn't brought up again later. Because of that, you don't even know why you're watching the movie until more than 40 minutes in when they get the distress signal. My solution? Off with its head. Or feet. I had the idea. What if you just watch the film starting at the 28 minute mark? Mm. Right after uh, the last of what felt like a jillion flashbacks. And you know what? It slaps. <laughs> Start the movie when Nero is first introduced right after the three years later text. The intro with Nero functions as a cool teaser. And then you transition right to Kirk telling Bones that he's going to beat the Kobayashi exam. And that whole scene quickly sets up the character conflict between Kirk and Spock. Setting up the potential growth before inciting action interrupts the scene and gets to the movie in full swing. And Whitney will like this t detail. From that point to when the credits start to roll, it's an easy breezy 90 minutes. Nice. Well, I do appreciate yeah. that. Uh, I wish more filmmakers would eschew the impulse to give us 100% context for everything we see. Oh, God, do I agree with that. Oh, yeah, uh, Luca is opposed as well. Oh, my God. Hey, Luca. You, kitty noises back there. You want uh, to in the podcast? One bit in that opening 28 minutes explains why Uhura holds a grudge against Kirk, but then I watched it without the context, and it made the world feel more lived in, like these characters didn't have exist, did, in fact, exist on their own and live their own lives outside the confines of the film's runtime. Yeah. I could tell that she was, yeah. she was prickly towards him, but it didn't matter why. Anyway, I'm sure both of you being so well-read on Star Trek will have a thousand reasons why this movie still sucks regardless, <laughs> and that's why we love you, but I think it functions a hell of a lot better than the original cut and is a good case study on the bloat of action blockbuster cinema. I wish someone up the chain at Paramount had the guts to take that screenplay and rip the first 30 pages off before giving it back to J.J. Abrams to shoot. Uh, very quickly, I wonder if you can think of other examples of films where you can just lop off the beginning, the middle, or end bits without losing anything and a production producing a better result. Thank you as always, James. Uh, James, thank you so much for listening in. I, I will say this. If you are a Trek person, you 
the the opening is at least some of it is needed to establish that this is a new timeline, which is why it's not following mm. the original story that people know. Yeah, but beyond that, yeah, there's a lot of bloat there. But, there's a lot you don't need. In that but opening. here's another question: Do you need to establish that it's a new timeline, or can you just have another timeline? Also fair. Yeah, um, I think what they is... wanted they wanted to do they wanted to have it be new, but also respect the old canon and not pretend it didn't exist. Which I think was kind yeah, of a mission suppose, statement, yeah. um, and I think they found a pretty hmm. decent way to accomplish that goal. But does it muddy the start of the movie and make it weird for people who don't understand or care mm-hmm. about previous canon? Yeah, yeah, um, that's fair. Yeah, something. This is something uh, Scott Mendelson pointed out. Uh, the 2009 Star Trek was really uh, well regarded. Yeah. And, it, and it uh, a, a for, lot of for the producers guild, it was almost people thought it was going to be nominated for best picture for a while because it got a PGA nomination. Yeah, it was like the, yeah, it was a big deal at the yeah. time. It was really highly acclaimed. Uh, a lot of you know, sort of old stick in the mud trekkies like me are saying, "Well, this isn't in the spirit of Star Trek at all. This is like an action yeah. picture. This is more like Star Wars than Star it's Trek." More like Graphicon. Come on, uh, Star Trek always had one toe in it, that. It, I suppose so, but this is like the first just like gigantic action picture. Yeah. And uh, Scott Mendelson pointed out, well, this Star Trek and Star Trek Into Darkness were made at a time when there weren't Star Wars movies around. Mm. Like something needed to fill that gap. And Star Mm. Trek sort of rushed in and said, we can be kind of like Star Wars, too. We're going to have a lot more weapons and a lot more action and shooting and stuff. Abrams, who openly admitted in uh, uh, Mm. interviews that he was more of a Star Wars guy. But you know what? There weren't weren't any Star Wars to be made. So he he turned Star Trek into Star Wars. Star Trek and Star Trek Into Darkness, uh, whatever you think of the movies, were hits. Many, many people went to go see them. And uh, Star Trek Beyond, the film that followed, wasn't as big a hit. And you'll notice that Star Trek Beyond came out after they started making Star Wars movies again. Uh, the idea think, being that we didn't need Star Trek to fill Star Wars place anymore once Star Wars came back. I think that's, I'm sure that's probably a part of it, like the space opera itch was being scratched, but I also think it's worth noting that sometimes unpopular movies are successful at the box office because people buy their tickets before they know if it's good or not. Yeah. And in the case well, of Star Trek Into Darkness, yeah. there, there definitely are a lot of people who are dissatisfied with that movie, you and me included, mm. And we did a I whole sus- commentary track about it. And I suspect, uh, I suspect that the lack of success of Star Trek Beyond also has at least something to do with people feeling feeling burned by the last one. So the new one, even if it's better, yeah, is not going to be as appealing because last time they set us up for something really, really huge, and it was really predictable, and yeah, it didn't really satisfy. That yeah, there are m- many reasons why Star Trek Beyond didn't take off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to to address the larger issue at hand, though, the idea of uh, modern um, uh, blockbusters being overwritten is definitely a problem sure. that uh, that I've noticed for quite some time because mm-hmm. there there was a time when you could get away with telling somebody's backstory with a few sentences mm-hmm. or having a couple lines of dialogue, mm-hmm. and there or, wouldn't necessarily even be a flashback. Yeah, just that, to, look, look at Tim Burton's Batman. His whole mm-hmm. his whole backstory. Yeah, yeah, is in a newspaper. Mm-hmm. Like they they make you think you're going to see Batman's origin, but it's just a mugging that's just a little similar. But they actually mm-hmm. like it's just um, who's who is it? Uh, is it Robert Wall plays uh, the, the yeah, reporter? Yeah, plays. Robert Wall shows in as like uh, well, well, Vicky. Vic, I think Vic your new Vail, boyfriend's yeah. no Vicky. I think your new boyfriend's kind of messed up, mm-hmm. and he tells well, her about yeah. what happened to his parents. That's how you get Batman's backstory. That's it. Well, I'll, she follows him to like a bad neighborhood, and he puts two roses on yeah. the sidewalk and wa- walks but away. And we don't know what that is. It's like a fifteen second yeah. scene. 
You don't need anything more than that. No. Batman's origin and is incredibly simple. You look at Batman Begin. Well, that is that's a whole origin story, but there's an enti- yeah. a huge amount of time devoted to all of that. Mm. And um, the one that really got under my skin was Frozen, where yeah. where we see them as kids and they sing songs and we learn about how she had powers as a child and they had to go to these trolls and get her memory erased and then the parents die and then they're adults and. Okay, you could have started there, right? You didn't need yeah. any of that stuff with them as kids. You can do well. Look at look at how uh, Beauty and the well, Beast hey, opens hey, with hey, like the the storybook. Yeah, gives just, you a quick backstory, little bit, boom, mm, you're out of here. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like in a modern version of Beauty and the Beast, which we had, yeah. they would dramatize all of that, which they, they, they did. did. They had like, oh uh, yeah, did you know that the prince was having like weird masquerade orgies the whole time and that's when like, like this old witch oh. showed up and he's like no we don't want any old witches at our masquerade orgy no, and no. i'm like bill condon how candy men are you gonna make this <laughs> <laughs> and turns out not a lot oh but then uh frozen continues apace and it's like the coronation uh, uh woman's going to become queen but then she has this outburst of frozen energy. Meanwhile, there's uh, the other sister is starting an affair with this other guy. And then she reveals her powers, runs off to the hills. And then I think the movie starts. It's like, we're, we're halfway done now. It's like, shouldn't we, maybe we should start with Anna unprepared, going into the snowy castle, looking for a sister we haven't seen yet. Well, that's no, one way to do it. The, uh, but that's the story, isn't it? It's about the sisters reconnecting. All that other stuff is completely extraneous. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to fight you on that. I'm going to fight you on that. But here's why. Hmm. Because it's not Anna's story. It's Anna and Elsa's story. Hmm. And if you're only seeing it from Anna's perspective, that's the, how the story begins. But if okay, you're seeing well, it from then, both, then, then you, you, need to see, you need to see Elsa hmm. fleeing, having just exposed herself and basically outed herself to the whole world. So we get that whole subplot. Yeah. That's the theme of the movie right there that we're losing in order to focus on the simplified plot. And I think that's something that is a risk. When you try to reduce a movie to its simplest components and try to shorten as uh-huh. much as you can... You get a more efficient movie. You get a more efficient movie. Hey, no nips. What are you doing, buddy? He's nipping me. <laughs> the cat is rambunctious. Uh, but uh, no, you get an efficient movie, but mm. efficient isn't necessarily the purpose of all cinema, is it? Hell, you love Love Diaz. <laughs> it's not about efficiency. It's about um, yeah. experience. It's about theme. There's a million but other lo- things you're trying to the, accomplish. That's not no. the type of filmmaking I'm talking yeah, about. But I, but I think you're, I think mm. you're, you're, you're giving mm. the short shrift mm. to entertaining filmmaking as Mm. though the purpose of these movies is merely to present to you a sequence of events. And that's Mm. not strictly true. I think there's also a matter of sort of enjoying the world, living in it, like actually getting to know Mm. the characters and actually using the entertaining stories to try to evoke something that actually has some value Mm. as opposed to merely being escapist entertainment. And I'm not saying that both approaches can't work, but what mm. I'm saying is that to, to say that only one of those approaches has value is unfair. That being said, what I think uh, is happening I, in a lot of I'm, these... What I'm saying is that by adding all of that extra stuff, you're making the film a lot worse. Well, hey, what, what but is it's, with you, Luca? Uh, is Luca Why? hungry? What's going on here? He's dipping at my cat. You, know, you have here. to hold him. I'm going to hold you, buddy. Luca, yeah. Luca, what do you think? Do you think <laughs> movies are overwritten? Yes, yeah. I think they're overwritten. I think they're overwritten. No, uh, I was going to uh, give you an I'm, example of... Uh, the example I was thinking of was actually Zack Snyder's Justice League. Okay. Which got... Uh, with, let's be fair here. Pretty goddamn butchered by the studio, <laughs> didn't it? Like, it really mm. got... Not only did it get chopped up, but it got rewritten and rescored, and it's a very different movie. Mm. The basic sequence of events is functionally the same, but it's a very different feeling film. 
seeing Zack Snyder's full length, like four hour cut of that thing makes me think two things. One, wow, there really was a better cut of that movie. Mm. And two, there's also a better cut of this movie because the first half of Zack Snyder's Justice League doesn't need to be that long. Mm. It really doesn't. You do not need every scene plays out as long as it could possibly be. There's no efficiency within the scenes. Sometimes we want efficiency within the whole movie, but there's also just something to be said for this scene only exists to convey this much. Right. And letting it play out because you like all the dialogue or because you just... You you write a screenplay, and the screenplay can be as long as it needs to be, and you film it thinking you're going to need all this material, and then you watch the material and you say to yourself... That scene is redundant. That information is conveyed visually earlier in the movie. Mm. We no longer need that scene. That scene, I like that scene, but that scene is holding us back now because it's not contributing anything. And that's the second half of Justice League, pretty solid. First half Mm -hmm. of Zack Snyder's Justice League, a lot of padding. Yeah. A lot of padding. That is a like two hour and 30, maybe 45 minute superhero epic that you could cut an hour and and, like you cut an hour to get that. Yeah. The four hour one, too damn long. Doesn't need to be that long. Feel better than uh, the theatrical, though. What, what are some other movies? Uh, I feel the same way about uh, uh, hmm. Thor Ragnarok is a film that I think is uh, two two movies like a, mo- a good movie stuffed into the middle of a different movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of the stuff at the beginning that like links it up and Doctor Strange is in it mm-hmm. and they're trying to set it in the real world and we learn about sort of the the fall of, of Asgard mm-hmm. and we get to see Kate Blanchett show up. Cut all of that, every bit of it. And, uh, That's one of those ones where, because uh, yeah. all the stuff on like, um, oh, what's the name of the Hulk world that they're on? Um, I, I don't re- the garbage. Whatever the name of the garbage world mm-hmm. is, you start the movie with Thor falling out of the sky on a weird yeah. garbage world. I love that. Out of your element, it's kind of comedic and we, it's kind of a mystery. We actually yeah. he can give us information as we go. Yeah, and we can have like an actual visual flashback because you you want to have. Kate Blanchett vamping it up in that antler well, outfit. I mean, it's cool. I feel mm. like I feel like that's just one where um, it's almost like Star Trek 2009 again, mm. where there's something you need to convey just to wrap some shit up because the Ragnarok is the third Thor movie, and it's got other films in the series as well. And yeah, and there's that's, stuff that's, that was, that's to its detriment. Isn't I, it? I, yeah. I agree, and I think on everything before Thor gets like stuck in Gladiator World. Mm. What the fuck is that planet called? Don't don't text me. I'll look it up later. Um, the Klingon homeworld, whatever it. it's called. That's it. It's, it's Kronos. Kronos with a Q. Uh, no, no, no. It's uh, it, all that stuff at the beginning is basically the last Thor movie that people saw. It was a big blockbuster. Hmm. Ended with a lot of loose ends that Taika Waititi has to wrap up so he can tell the story he wants to tell. Hmm. And maybe there was a faster way to do it, but he gets it done, and then the good movie can begin. Yeah, and so. Sometimes you're de- you you play the cards you're dealt, and you're yeah, you're, well, you're forced to deal with. Again, these are people who are work for again, hire. They're told to wrap things yeah. up. They have to do the job. Uh, I, I I understand that, but those are all studio decisions. They're not yeah. creative decisions, and they're yeah. not put in there to make the movie better. In fact, they're yeah. kind of bogging the movie down. Yeah. I understand a lot of people when they go to see a gigantic blockbuster want their money's worth, and they're not going to want to be out on the street again in eighty minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I wouldn't mind if it's good. I don't care. But uh, you know, heck, go back in, see it again. We used to do that. We used to watch a movie, and if we liked it, we'd go back and see it a second time. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I I feel like there are far more entertaining 
and intriguing and creative ways to tell these stories without literally showing us everything. Yeah. Show us less. We don't need to see it all. It can be conveyed in dialogue. It can be conveyed in flashbacks. It can be conveyed in a look. Again, I think we don't if, we don't need everything so explicitly depicted. And if, if you, you have get a, so much of this in the runtime, it's just yeah. making the movie longer, not richer. If you want to get a sense of how to tell these stories really efficiently and satisfactorily, mm. I recommend watching genre films from the 1930s, especially horror movies. Mm-hmm. Uh they get so much movie out of Frankenstein. Now, the original Frankenstein's like what, 71, 72 minutes? Yeah, it's, it's yeah, pretty yeah. pretty short. It doesn't feel short. It feels like they told the complete story. Everything took as long as it needed to. Mm-hmm. They didn't ex- like add pad the running time to make the audience feel like they got their money's worth. The audience was incredibly happy with what they got. Um that said, long, long movies can be fun, too. Don't get me wrong. But, um, yeah, I feel like a lot of it boils down to is a lot of people are writing as much as they possibly... Uh, Pat Oswalt had a good bit about mm. this, where he talked about how um, you know, movies are often directed by men, and they're just trying to like show off how much footage they can produce. Mm. And yeah. many of the best movies ever made were edited by women who were basically just saying, like, okay, you go run off and play. Hey, I'm going to go find a way to make this work by cutting out half of it. He he compared it to uh, to fathering a child. Yeah, <laughs> to, to put it gi- yeah. gently. Yeah, he's like and just I'm going just, and do their business. And yeah, they're like, just okay, going to do like, do yeah. their business and think it's like all so important. And then the woman has to like says, okay, now I have to make something out of all yeah, this, this horrors, all this crap. You did. Yeah. Um, it's it's frankly it's it's not his best bit. It's, but it's, it's crass, it's, but I think it's apt. Yeah, uh, but that's and, that's true. People they they write yeah. too much. They shoot too much, and that's why you're supposed to edit it down and mm. not release the work print mm. as a movie. Yeah, Zach, and uh, and because of the Snyder cut, and because uh, you know people are just discovering the notion of the work print. Yeah, I've seen headlines in like trade papers, like prestigious yeah. outlets, like the original like, cut of Black Panther was four hours, and I'm like. like no, the work, the work print, print was, was four, four hours. hours. You shot everything. Yeah. You cut it all together before you start editing. That was never intended to be the movie. Yeah. It's very, it's like, very rare that that, 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 yeah. that a movie's supposed to be that long. And yeah. if you are making a movie that that's that yeah. long, you might want to start so, thinking yeah, about like reining it the uh, fuck in. Did, did you know that that David, the statue David, was supposed to be an even bigger block of marble at one point? <laughs> That's a great movie. Yeah, it's like, no, you're supposed to make it. Anyway, let's get on to it. We, 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 yeah. we're, we're, we're being a dead horse here. Thank you so much for the letter. That was, yeah. that was, that was, that was a good conversation. Yeah. Um, here's a letter from Chris from the Netherlands. Hello, Chris from the Netherlands. Hi, Chris. Uh, dear W Squared. That's us. I like that. Uh, I've been wanting to write this email for quite some time now, but I never really felt like I was able to properly word it. As my holiday has officially started... I've decided that I have no more valid excuses, so the procrastination ends now. Disclaimer, there is no question at the end of this email. (laughs) Uh, I've been listening to your podcast for about five years now. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I I am 24 years old. That's 20% of my life. Wow. Well, I'm happy to have occupied that space with you. Uh, I've always considered your work to be highly informative and enjoyable, but on top of that, your views on life and the manner in which you express them has been a major impact on my life. Thank you. That's very kind. When I first started listening to Critically Acclaimed, I strongly identified with Bibbs. I felt... uh, 
I was a strong ally to the LGBTQ plus community, and I was also in a long-term relationship with an amazing woman, which I still am to this day. Nice. However, I was generally not as vocal about my alliance, which I strongly disliked about myself. By not expressing my feelings when the situations occurred when I would have wanted to do so, I felt like I was betraying my true self. Additionally, I also felt like I was betraying my partner, who has always been openly bisexual. Listening to Bibbs expressing himself so eloquently on multiple occasions gave me the confidence and the vernacular to do do for myself as well, for which I am very grateful. Uh, about a year ago, after a very long period of denial and repressal, I realized I am not actually merely an ally of the LGBTQ plus community, but a member of it myself. Hey. Uh, my realization hugely influenced my girlfriend's ability to see right through me and actually get me to open up about this part of myself, which is made significantly easier by listening to the both of you. I distinctly remember hearing Whitney's talk about being both a bisexual man and being in a loving relationship for a woman for the first time. Even though I was still in denial when I heard this for the first time, I felt so validated deep inside, and that has always stayed with me. I want to thank you sincerely for being so open about who you are, which in turn has helped me realize who I am. Also, you have played a similar role... uh, played a similar role in me deciding to paint my nails and dye my hair. Oh, thank (laughs) goodness. Uh, Which might be slightly less impactful, but I but definitely the things I'm super happy about and love to do. Uh, My hair is faded to like... It's actually getting kind of yellow now. It's blonde now. Yeah, Yeah, like I I bleached it and and it was bright blue for a while and it faded and now it's just sort of white blonde. It still looks pretty cool. And uh, the last time I painted my nails, it did so much damage. I have to wait for them to grow out again a little bit before I can paint them again. But it's it's almost... It's almost time. Yeah. Uh, hope you both uh, keep doing what you do, provided it makes it, it keeps making you happy. And I will try to write in again sometime, maybe with an actual question, perhaps a slightly frothier topic. Mm. Uh, with the kindest regards, Chris from the Netherlands. Chris, that's incredibly oh. kind, and thank you. Well, thank and I'm you. honored, yeah. and I don't feel like I deserve that, but that's mm. very, very kind. And um, you have all our support. And congratulations mm. to you. Yeah, it sounds I'm, like you're living a really great life, uh, and I'm, that's exciting. Welcome out. Welcome to yourself. Yeah. It's 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 a, a freeing feeling just to be able to express that. Don't belittle the hair and the nails. Like yeah. it seems like a frivolous thing, but that's, that's how you. That's, that's you. That's you. That's how you express yourself outwardly to the yeah. public. And you know, um, you know, there there are many. Uh, I've I know some trans people, and there are many trans people who uh, you know just being able to wear the clothing they wanted to, mm-hmm. just the clothing. It's just fashion, but it's really important because that's the way the world now perceives them. It's how they are seen now. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, that's that's actually a a big, important part of being yourself and being out there. Um, Yeah. Get get the haircut. Get your nails painted. (laughs) Whatever you want. Yeah. It's it's never too early and it's never too late to start. So go for it. Congrats. Seriously. Mm -hmm. And and thank you so much for letting Mm -hmm. us know. And it's an enormous honor. And thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, I'm, that's well, incredibly th- th- Thank you so cool. much. Yeah, and thanks yeah. for listening, and we hope we can yeah. continue to be entertaining and, and moving and enlightening in ways that you prefer. <laughs> well, let's move on. Here's a letter from JP. Hi, Hi JP. JP. And this is, a, this is a nice frivolous question for us. Uh, dear fellow pognophiles. Well, I do like pogs. <laughs> Pognos. Uh, as you are, or at least when I last saw you on the Schmodown, both proud sporters of facial hair. Hmm. I was wondering if uh, what your favorite movie beard and or uh, and or movie mustache is. Okay. <laughs> what is your favorite movie beard or movie mustache? JP. That's ooh, it. That's a fun one. Mm-hmm. Uh, ooh, that is. Ooh, that's a big question. I'm actually. Uh, uh, I think my favorite mustache lately. Uh huh. At least lately. 
is Kenneth Branagh in Murder on the Orient Express. <laughs> now the but, car- so both of the ones, both of the yeah, mustaches yeah. that Kenneth Branagh wears. It's, it's really that, quite, yeah. it's really quite genius. So the character of uh, uh, Hercule Poirot is very vain, and he's very vain about his mustache. And if you'll recall, Albert Finney in the Sidney Lumet version also mm. sported a glorious mustache. And as he's going to bed on the Orient Express, this train, mm. uh, he's like putting in like a mustache guard and he's putting the wax oh. on it and it takes a lot of care to make it just right. Um, when Kenneth Branagh took over the role for Murder on the Orient Express, and he'll do it again in Jewel on the Nile sooner or later, I know it's already shot, um, he wanted, he clearly wanted to do the big mustache, but he wanted to do it a different way. And so his solution was to put two mustaches <laughs> end to end and they meet under his nose. So he's got two mustaches. It's that a wrap look, around his entire it's face. It's a yeah. glorious look. It's a really, <laughs> I, I, kudos. For, Kenneth Branagh is not, uh, uh, he's cast himself in a four hour Hamlet that cut no, that cut none of the text out. Mm. You know, he's not... Um, he's not afraid to point the camera at himself. Exactly. But he's also apparently not afraid to take the piss out of himself, and good for him. Mm. So that's definitely the first thing that comes to mind lately. I'm also fond of... This was a little bit more obscure. I really love um, Orson Welles' beard and Mr. Arcaden. Oh, well, He's I got mean, this incredible... Like, like, Orson just, Welles wore a beard for most of his life, so, yeah, and, and but, it was it was a large resplendent thing. True, but like I think in Mr. Arcaden, it has this very... Um, Almost looks like a Greek god. Like he would have played a great Zeus. Um, well, let me see if I can pick a picture of. Make sure I'm remembering this correctly. Yeah, just this wonderful, glorious, like, like Falstaff is mad at you kind of kind of mm. beard. And he's just a really good looking uh, uh, a, a mane on that one. That's yeah. another one that comes to mind. What about you? You've been silent. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of like like beards. I just were so really striking. Um, I remember, uh, Gerard Butler's beard in 300 mm. was like sculpted. Like they, yeah. they want him to look like a statue. So yeah. they kind of, like squared it off. Um, uh, that, that's the way LeBron James wears his beard mm. in, in the, the, the new space jam movie. They kind of oh, like, yeah, it's, it's, like, it's yeah. like super squared off. And of they even make a joke about it when he turns into a cartoon. He has to like twist his hair and his beard back around on his head. Cause yeah. they, they got mixed up. Um, Oh gosh, what I'm trying to think of is there like a, I like, a um, living beard of some kind. I like uh, oh, a living beard? I don't know about that. Uh, I, I, uh, there's, I there's the Tick's when... mustache in that one episode of the... <laughs> I, I appreciate when uh the actor has clearly grown their own facial hair. Yeah. Uh I know that was uh how they made the movie Cast Away, which is a movie we <coughs> seem to bring up a lot. Um yeah. Cast Away uh took a break in the middle of filming because they wanted a well, they wanted Tom Hanks to look like he had been living on that island for a, yeah. like a year or a couple of years. Yeah, they didn't want to like and, use uh, CGI or put him in like a fat mm. suit in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, they wanted so, him to actually lose so weight had, and for that to actually, be the visual effect. He gained weight for the first half of the movie and then yeah, lost, lost a, a lot, lot of weight over of the weight. course. So he got really, really kind of skeletal. And yeah, uh, also grew his own beard out. So he actually had a long beard in that movie that was his. Uh, and even though the the beard is not you know fashionable, mm. I appreciate that it's his. True, that he, that he had this sort of big wild thing. And uh, can you imagine like, can you imagine being Rita Wilson and like having yeah. to live with? <laughs> That's a weird year yeah. in their lives. I, they probably should have written a book about that. Because yeah, I, I know when yeah. uh, Jack Nance was shooting a racer head. Uh, oh yeah, it was a weird it was, haircut, like man. it was so 
so difficult to get the hair that way. And mm-hmm. it took them like, took them like five years to make that movie mm-hmm. that he just kept his hair that way for five years. Yeah. Like he was uh, just wandering around town, going to donut shops with that thing. A lot of respects just in general to Mr. T, but mm. Mr. T in Rocky three has an amazing beard. It's like <laughs> mutton chops that turn into a beard, but then he has like a pencil thin mustache. Mm. Like it's a really distinct look and not yeah. a lot of human beings could have pulled it off. I'm also very fond of Michael Gambon in uh, the Harry Potter movies. Cause he's got this, um, just this really long beard, but he ties it in a knot in the middle mm-hmm. to keep it from like getting all over the place, which yeah. is kind of like, <laughs> I'm not going to trim it. Aww. All right. I'm not an asshole. But I will tie a little ribbon in it, just to keep it from going everywhere, so it doesn't end up in my soup. Yeah, I, I'm. I know that we're in a beardy world. You and I have beards. Um, I know razor companies have really been suffering yeah, as a result of this. Beards are popular now. You'll yeah. notice that men's razor companies are saying, "Hey guys, shave your chest." Yeah. Uh, there's even a whole company called Manscaped. Which oh my is, god, uh, their YouTube yeah, commercials are so obnoxious. Yeah, they're, and they're really crass, but they're about shaving your pubic region. And yeah. they've they're like these razors are specially for that. Well, no, they're not, no. but they're branding them that way now. Yeah, and like, listen, yeah. dudes, yeah, we have to come up with a way to convince you to pay us mm. to put a knife to your skin. Mm. Every day. Also, um, and then replace that knife yeah, on ra- a regular basis. Razors are one of the greatest rackets in the world yeah. uh, and in this country. Uh, they really don't need to be. They as don't big need a deal to be. They, they don't need to be as disposable as they are. Nope. They don't need to be as expensive as they are. Nope. It's really, really horrible. And I, that might have led to the, the rise of the beard, the hipster beard yeah. at first. I, and now just the beard. My dad had a beard. I've never saw my dad in person hmm. in my entire life without his beard. Oh, yeah. In fact, only a handful of pictures survive of him without a beard as an adult man. Hmm. Like, you know, as a little kid, sure. But yeah. like as an adult man, a couple of pictures of him in the Marines, one when he got back and then he grew the beard and he never shaved it off. So we never really had that moment where he's like, ah, son, now I'm going to teach you how to shave. Because my dad never shaved. <laughs> he's not going to teach me how to shave. Well, he's like, when's he going to shave it off? I have a beard, but I shave because I shave the, my neck and I shave my cheeks. I kind of yeah. shape my beard. Well, yeah, sure. I, I do a little, a little trimming here and there, but I never really learned how to shave properly, nor was there ever like that ritual mm. of shaving that was included in my house. Because let's be honest here. My dad loved me. The beard was there first. Okay, he's not going to get rid of that for me. Look, I'm, I met the beard first, all right? If, if the ship is going down, I'm saving no, the beard. I, I think it literally did not occur to him to teach me how to shave. And oh. I think that's really fun. that's fine. Because well, he's not shaving. It's like yeah, he I, does. I, I, I'm not offended by it. And, well, I, and, it, and it helped make me a beard person because it was never valued. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, like beards, yeah. are, beards can be very noble. Films can look very, very nice. Uh, my dad actually had this whole Sean Connery kind of look. He was very salt and pepper, mm. bald on the top. You know, hair on the sides, nice trim beard. It's a good looking man, actually. Hmm. Yeah, like if yeah, like if yeah. like if uh, Sean Connery and Bob Hoskins were just put in a blender, oh. you get my dad. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um. Yeah my my dad was always clean shaven. I think he wanted to teach me how to shave, but mm. I was abroad when I got my first shave. I was a professional. I went mm. to a barber shop. And uh, and th- this was just like getting rid of like the greasy hairs that fifteen year olds get. Yeah, you gotta yeah learn how to yeah how uh, to deal. Yeah, I, I, I just like what, are you gonna shave that off? No, I don't need to shave. You got these ugly greasy hairs. You really need to, like, I, you, you need just, to shave until they look good. That's yeah, the, that's the yeah. trick. You need to shave a little bit when you first start getting the hair in, so that like they'll yeah, come that, in nice, and then yeah. And I, I murdered my face when I first started shaving because <laughs> not because not I cut myself. I was oh, actually okay. very good about cutting myself. But uh, they always said, oh, you also need aftershave. 
and I had bad skin. I had, oh, I had pimples. Yeah. So it's like, well, I may as well, you know, I'll, I'll shave and I'll also clean my face. So I would just shave and then immediately like rub my face with rubbing alcohol. Oh, no. And it was That's like the terrible. most painful thing. It's like, yeah. in the, I'm in the bathroom at like 15, 16 years old. You're like, oh God, why do people do this? Macaulay Culkin tried to warn you. He did. And yeah. I didn't, I didn't listen. Yeah. Macaulay Culkin were here right now. I'd, I'd need an apology. We, you, we you, never, you, uh, you never met me when I had the Kevin Smith goatee. Where my, I think my you che- tried it briefly cheek once. And, cheeks and jaws were clean shaven, but I, think, I had the, the mustache and the goatee. I think I, I think you tried that briefly, but then abandoned it once while I, was, while I knew you. Like in like the early 2010s maybe, or something. Maybe. I, think I think you tried that really shortly I think for it was, a I think I was already clean shaven at that point. But yeah. Mm, well, anyway, maybe I'm just, my, I'm just remembering you the way I want to remember you. Um, <laughs> you remember you in this moment where you look like an extra from a Kevin Smith movie. Anyway, that's a fun one. Uh, let's move on. Uh, here's a letter from Zay. Hello, Zay. Hi, Zay. Um, Hello, Bibbs and Whitney. Uh, I was excited to learn there was going to be an episode of Ghosts of Fear Street, and I had no idea such a thing existed. I grew up in the early 2000s when R.L. Stein's popularity still hadn't died, and he was absolutely my gateway into horror. I still have all of my Goosebumps books, and I hope one day I can bring home a romantic partner who will be very impressed. <laughs> That's the hope, isn't it? Yeah. That's why you collect things. You collect things you, that people will come guests, over and go, ooh, yeah. <laughs> how interesting. I should marry you. And I, and I was totally that jerk who would like go to a party and like seek out the libraries yeah. or the video collections to say, kind of rub my chin. Hmm, what kind of person is this? Like, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm judging your character That's based on your... the very first yeah. thing I do when I enter someone's house. If they have a display of their movie collection, which a lot of people I know do because we have similar interests, that's not a requirement. I won't uh-huh. judge you. But if you have it, I'm going to check it out, aren't I? I want to mm. see what's important to you. What movies are important to you to keep on hand? Mm. You know, it's like it's like like your books yeah. or looking at your kitchen. What are your most important appliances? Do you really make that many waffles that you need a waffle iron? <laughs> waffle is that important to you, huh? Interesting. Thank you for the for the tip. Why do you need eight food dehydrators? Because uh, <laughs> uh, I hate water. It was a. a, a rather sad moment when I saw Scream 4 uh, where the movie loving character played by uh, Hayden Panettiere mm. uh, she has her her display like her movie collection oh, yeah. and there's like 15 movies on her I, shelf it's like the tiniest me. little thing I know like, you're no, of a new nobody generation nobody has movies no. like that in the same way anymore it's like I, it's no, accurate do, but it's kind of sad no they do some people do uh, not everyone does mm. but a lot of people still care like much like mm. people still you know collect vinyl yeah, you know, it's like it's becoming a little bit more of like a trendy thing than like, a, like the, build, than the norm. Yeah, but yeah. also a lot of people like will like they they don't fetishize the case mm. of their movies and they'll take the disc out and, and they'll put, put it in one of those like, like you know disc wallet, sleeves, yeah. which is a great way to save space if space is at a premium. Mm. I personally like the presentational element and I don't like doing that. Yeah, but it yeah, makes sense too. and I'm not going to judge you. Uh, anyway, unless it's uh, like a collector's edition case, in which case put, put that on display. Like I have like, display. I have like my branded wooden Wicker Man box set, where mm. they actually like had a brand of the Wicker Man and they hand branded mm. the wooden box. Yeah, yeah. I'm not putting that in a sleeve. <laughs> I want to show people that? There's only like, only yeah, like two thousand of those. I also have that Predator head box. Oh set. yeah, it's like that a thing's sc- cool. Sculpted plastic. That thing's uh, Predator cool. Head. That I always uh, wanted one a, like that. It has a removable mask. Yeah. Uh, the one that I always there were a couple I wanted to get. There was the Planet of the Apes set, yeah. which had all of the movies t- to date and all of the TV shows to date. Yeah, it, like in this big core in a, a life size ape head, which is pretty cool. Uh, that was pretty cool. Um, and one of the Futurama box sets was a Bender. It's a Bender head, and you can pull it out. We need to get back to this letter. Um, anyway, uh, being quasi expert, I wanted to give some context that wasn't discussed in the episode but was hinted at um ghost of fear street was actually a book series first that started in 1995 
It was in the midst of both Goosebumps and Fear Street at their peak popularity while Stein was actively writing new ones of the original series. Ghosts of Fear Street was basically the Goosebumps equivalent of For Fear Street, in which it was kind of an anthology series, but the characters are all dealing with things on Fear Street. Mm. Uh, also, of course, so it's like Stein, Erie, Indiana. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, uh, of course, R.L. Stein wasn't writing yet. wasn't writing for another series yet. So this book series was actually all uh, all ghost written oh. with Stein's brand on the series title. Okay, well that makes uh, sense because it's got ghosts in it. Yeah. This was. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is also a surprising detail <laughs> I didn't know until very recently. As far as I can tell, this was the only series in which this was the case. Okay. Well, I know certain authors do that. They they lend their name out to ghostwriters so they can yeah. keep the, their name alive on things but even even after their death they can keep on writing yeah, look at look at uh, a lot of books that have james patterson's name on them are not specifically written yeah, by james I, patterson vc andrews tom clancy yeah, yeah they all yeah, they're, 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 yeah. they play fair usually they'll, they'll actually say on the corner james patterson apostrophe writing with so and so or whatever like you know or blank writing as james yeah, Peterson, yeah. yeah exactly like uh, which is as, as long as you're upfront about it i don't give a shit it's fair uh, also also uh, another future episode possibly possibly based on real life stein's books was another one season anthology horror show called the nightmare room featuring child actors of the time frankie muniz and amanda Bynes, among mm. many others we we almost uh, did that once we need to uh we might we might come back to that for scary tober this year mm. uh perhaps yeah it's on, it's, it's on the list. We mm. might get to it. Okay. Uh, here is a letter from... Oh, thank you for uh, that. Oh, yeah. Thank you for writing it. We, we, we did a whole cancel too soon about the failed pilot to Ghosts of Fear Street because mm. the Fear Street movies came out and they're excellent. And uh, it's something that we were excited about and we did some research into, but Fear Street and uh, the other Arl Stein stuff wasn't quite our generation, so it's no, nice we're, to hear people talk about it for people who knew it. You know, I'm, 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 I had well aged out of reading Arl Stein, but you know, yeah. it was on... Like I was I, on the cusp, like, but I... Yeah, like, I like I said, I was already knee-deep in Clive Barker at that point. I'm yeah. not going back to R.L. Stein. Yeah. Uh, here's a letter from Name Redacted. If you don't sign off, I'm not going to read your name. Um, hello. I'm a, I am a basketball and NBA fan. Ooh. And this is my Space Jam review. <laughs> okay, nice. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and I hate to pick on uh, the kids, but LeBron's son was so terrible... That if he was going to be that bad, I don't understand why they didn't just use his own son, who honestly seems more charismatic. Damian Lillard and and, and uh, Anthony Davis are huge NBA stars. Deanna Tarasi and Nkena Ag... Oh gosh, I'm good. I, I don't know how to pronounce this name. Ag- Agognoke? Okay. Uh, are not, but they are in the WNBA. I'm not trying to be sexist, but I think I speak for most NBA fans when I say we just don't watch the WNBA. So it's like having stars who you really don't know being uh, put in your movie when they are not in the same caliber of star. I don't know about that. I understand I, I, how that works. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not. Like, a, I don't follow the NBA or the WNBA, so yeah. I don't know it's how the much same like sport, like right? fandom cross it. Well, I know people have their teams and yeah, like their leagues. Yeah, of course you have their teams, but like, so yeah, I'm, I'm not sure um, like how much crossover there yeah, I, is I, between I, those I, those particular fandoms. It's not my world. I never yeah. quite understood why there's mm-hmm. as much. I yeah. under, I understand, I, I, you know, I don't yeah. understand it at all. Actually, I'm just not going to pretend. All right. Uh, anyway, I rewatched the first Space Jam, and you are correct about Michael Jordan's acting. It sucks. However, the movie is elevated by the side characters, and they get a lot of the a lot of the focus and a lot of the lines, and the sheer number of NBA cameos is really awesome for any fan. The first one also has a very consistent Toon World aesthetic, whereas this one has literally no rules. They were not even playing basketball. They could have been playing anything. Yeah, they're basically but, playing Calvin Ball. Yeah. Like, the rules don't matter. Yeah. If, if you can score 500 points because you 
manifested 500 coyotes and threw them through the air, then yeah, yeah that's not basketball anymore. I realize that there are two movies this year that ended in a game of Calvin Ball for the fate mm. of the universe. And one was Space <laughs> Jam, the other was Psycho, Psycho Gorman. Gorman. Psycho is, Gorman did it much better. It's a much better movie, Psycho yeah. Gorman. Um, d- 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 they could have been playing anything. Another thing that irked me was when Kronos, the Damon Lillard character, came in. That's the uh, time controlling yeah. uh, robot monster. Yeah. Uh, they came in and uh, used a rap song he did because he is a rapper on the side. Uh, if you have to agree about anything about the first one, it's that the soundtrack was iconic and stands the test of time. Mm. And this one had a Damien Lillard song. Uh, sorry for the rant, but this is a missed <laughs> opportunity that pisses me off more than anything. I give it a three out of 10. That's uh, that's, uh, that's very fair. I, um, sorry for the long letter. I had yeah. to rant. To Space Jam did have a good soundtrack. I think we can all agree that the soundtrack has like a lot of hit songs on it. And that's, that's not to the movie's credit per se, but whoever produced that soundtrack, yeah. you know, put, songs on there that people liked mm-hmm. okay i know there's a i think r kelly is on there and that's obviously kind of tainted but <laughs> uh but um, yeah mm-hmm. there you go so there's that's one element i guess people mm-hmm. can get behind uh okay here's our next letter and thank uh, you for writing in yeah, thank, again yeah. it's again much like fear street that we were not nba fans and mm-hmm. so like Sometimes it's hard to say to ourselves like is are we just not the target demo for this are we missing the point well, I, it's good to know that we're not completely out of touch and that it well, is possible to enjoy hmm. like basketball and not enjoy Space Jam as well. Like, you uh, know, <laughs> it's not like I'll, it's I'll just say this. for like that um, target demo. I, I am largely ignorant of the world of basketball. I know who Le- LeBron James is. Of course. Um, and, um, I, and what team does he play for? All of them. I know he moves around a lot. I know that that's like one of the things he's known for. Is I learned for that a, from Space Jam. Yeah, in fact, <laughs> there, there's a joke. Like, did you run out of teams to play for? Bugs Bunny asks him. Yeah. Uh, and, but, you know, I don't pay attention to statistics. I don't pay attention to you know, scores. I don't watch games. But this is not something that I want to brag about anymore Mm. this was something that i was you know kind of a a jerk about in my 20s about oh i'm not into sports sports is dumb i i'm a movie guy i'm into the arts and this was true of a lot of movie people uh just they they would brag about how they don't understand uh games or sports or they don't want to watch the super bowl that's fine don't watch it if you don't want to but uh sport fandom is no lesser than any other kind of fandom and i think uh, Mm. people who have a mind for uh, sports and competition are involved in something very exciting. It's not something I'm into, but it's not something that uh, I'm going to be proud of not being into any longer. It's I something to... I was really kind of brash about in my 20s. Yeah, my, I, well, I, I in my regret teens, that. In my teens, I was I experienced some ostracization because I wasn't into sports, and mm-hmm. a lot of the people I went to school with very much were. And mm-hmm. um, I was like, okay. I I think I was so used to being sort of frowned upon for not being interested in sports that I developed a bit of an attitude about it. Like I yeah, started being proud yeah. that I wasn't into sports. And Well, you turned that into like yeah. not liking something is also part yeah, but, of but, fandom. But that's, but in, and, and in a specific reaction to specific people around me that may or may not be forgivable, but as a general tone, it's immature mm. and it's not cool. And I've grown up a lot and I'm still not super into sports. I just, I'm not. Uh, but I respect sports. I'm into, I think the, sport, I'm into the Olympics. I like that. I, yeah, I'm not even into the Olympics. I'm like, it's, right. it's okay. Good, good for them. I'm glad they're good at stuff. But like, I, for me, I'm just watching. I'm like, okay, good, <laughs> good. Jump, jump higher. 
you. It's exciting. Sports it's, is visceral. It it's, can it's, be. Yeah. It can be. I just, I'm not necessarily invested in it on a personal level. Hmm. But I appreciate uh, the achievements. Unless it's, unless it's a movie. <laughs> well, in a movie, they tell you what's important, don't they? They tell mm-hmm. you like what it means to people. Yeah. Beyond the abstract. Otherwise, I'm just looking at people. I'm like, ah, oh, but they want to win. Mm-hmm. Ah, but I bet that other team does too. And I'm like, I don't know who's, I don't know whose needs are more important. Yeah. Like, who who's who's got more invested in this? Because it's not me. <laughs> it's not. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, um, movies. I love sports movies because they guide my affections and my. Uh, empathy mm-hmm. actually watching sports if i followed along and i actually like paid attention and read interviews and like had some okay. dedication to one team or another um, i might have that understood in screenwriting terms the stakes yeah i might have that and it might be really really wonderful and that could be something really really powerful mm-hmm. never really had that my sports are particularly important to the rest anyone else my family so just never had it just uh wasn't prioritized Hmm. No disrespect. No, but anyway, none disrespect but whatsoever intended. I, I, yeah. I wanted to bring that up before we move, move yeah. on to the next letter. Yeah, um, it's just we, we come from that place when we hmm. talk about sports movies. Yeah. Uh, here's here's our next letter, also from hmm. Ben Rejected. They didn't sign it off, Fair but uh, here's a letter. It says, uh, "Hello there, WNW. That's hmm. us." Uh, a while back, you were talking about great fake movies you'd love to see, and I asked the listeners for suggestions. Mm. To that, I have one sentence to say to you. Hi, I'm Tro- Troy McClure. You may remember me from such <laughs> films as... <laughs> I'm actor Troy McClure. Oh, my you, God. You may, enjoy, you may remember me from such educational films as Lead Paint, Delicious but Deadly. <laughs> and here comes the metric system. Uh this is a character joke that keep, just keeps on giving and always puts a smile on my face. Whenever he mentions a film title, I always go, dang it, I want to see that. Mm. Um, f- for anybody who may not be in the know, actor Troy McClure, as voiced by Phil Hartman in The Simpsons, mm-hmm. was sort of the go-to pseudo-celebrity, mm-hmm. like clearly a celebrity who's fallen on hard yeah. times and is now doing an educational video. His, he was always this fake celebrity who would show up in those educational videos. He was, uh, his name was a portmanteau of uh, Troy Donahue, who mm. was briefly a young, very popular actor when he was young and stuck around and was always in stuff, but his star fell. And, and also, was it Doug McClure? Troy McClure. No, no. The, oh, it was a portmanteau of Doug McClure. Oh, there's okay. another guy named Doug McClure, right? Am I, am I confused? Uh, th- I think there is a Doug McClure, yes. Yeah, um, so that's, that's what it was. And so um, every time... Uh, yeah, Doug McClure. I'm not crazy. Okay. He's in the Virginian. Um, every time he showed up, he would say, like, "Hi, I'm Troy McClure. You may remember me from such films as." And they always had funny joke names. And in fact, I've got a list oh, online. <laughs> yeah, somebody of, uh, compile all of the yeah. films. And TV you may shows. remember me from such films as The Boat Jacking of Supership Seventy Nine, well, Calling All Quakers. What was uh, David what, versus Super Goliath? What was the one? It's like uh, like Captain Orange and Happy Caramel's Summertime Smile Factory or something along those lines. Well, there was the one that uh, Troy McClure had like a career boost when he married Marge's sister. Yeah, they, they, and he had they oppor- eventually turned him into like a character. Like he had yeah, episodes about he, him. He had a couple episodes, but there was this whole bit where um, he wanted to play McBain's like sidekick in the new McBain movie, mm. and he had an option of doing that. Or writing and directing his own passion project, the Contrabulous Fab Traption of Professor Horatio Huffnagel, <laughs> which I like to think was the prequel to the Imaginarium of Do- not the Imaginarium. Uh, uh, what's the? Of Doc- no, it is the Imaginarium of, of Doctor Parnassus. But I was thinking of the Dustin Hoffman or, movie. Oh, Mr. McGorry was Wonder Report. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, let's see what other. There were some uh, other anyway, classic. Uh, uh, there's there's more of the list here though. So um, okay. 
Uh, I've, I've, and indeed, the list you're looking at, I've linked an entire list of movies that he's mentioned throughout the show at the yes. bottom of this mail. Uh, this is just a nice way to get a good laugh and open up your imagination. My personal favorites are uh, <laughs> The Muppets Go Medieval, <laughs> The Verdict Was Mail Fraud, <laughs> and Christmas Ape 2, Christmas Ape Goes to Summer Camp. <laughs> Forgot about that one. That one's good. Uh, and who can forget his ever-enlightening uh, educational films and self-help systems such as Here Comes the Metric System, Lead Paint, Delicious But Deadly, and Mommy, What's Wrong With That Man's Face? <laughs> oh, God. Hope this made you chuck a little. Have an awesome day. Uh, lots of love. Patreon subscriber and longtime listener, Nikolai. Hello, Nikolai. Hi, Nikolai. Thank you so much. Uh, you might remember Nikolai from such films as Good Time Slim, Uncle Doobie, and The Great Frisco Freakout. <laughs> the Greatest Story Ever Hula'd. Hmm. Hydro, the man with hydraulic arms. <laughs> Look who's still drinking. <laughs> Jesus. Dark. The makeout king of Montana. <laughs> Preacher with a shovel. <laughs> and the president's neck is missing. <laughs> I like Preacher with a shovel. They That's came to burgle. <laughs> Gosh, that's funny. Today we kill, tomorrow we die. (laughs) (laughs) um, The actual like sex ed video that he hosted that we actually got to see pieces of. It's like, I'm I'm here to talk to you kids about sex in a frank and straightforward manner. So now welcome to Fuzzy Bunny's Guide to You Know What. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what's what's good to you want? Uh, also, some of the ed- other educational films he was in, Alice's Adventure Through the Windshield Glass. <laughs> Alice Doesn't Live Anymore. Oh, God. <laughs> the Decapitation of Larry Leadfoot. <laughs> Firecrackers, The Silent Killer. <laughs> the Half-Assed Approach to Foundation Repair. Man versus Nature, The Road to Victory. <laughs> I think it'll get much better than <coughs> Christmas Ape 2, Christmas Ape 2 is the summer game. <coughs> oh, sorry. It's far, it's, far, it's far too me. funny, yeah. It's killing me. It's killing me. Troy mm. McClure is one of the funniest characters in TV history. Mm. I miss Phil Hartman. Yeah. He was so great. Just, he, he was wondering, like... He's one of those actors we, just never, we never had a replacement for Phil Hartman. Yeah. There was no one else doing Phil Hartman. We just I mean, had him did, and then uh, he died and it was very sad. It was way too young. It was very tragic and... He did some yeah. very bad movies. Oh, sure. Uh, he, he is in Jingle All the Way, which is a yeah. terrible he's film. He's funny in Jingle All the Way. He's funny in Jingle yeah, All the Way. He's nailing he, it. Now. He understands that he's playing sort of a broad character, yeah. and he decided to actually play that character, and he does it really, really well. He was he he should have won every Emmy mm. for, for News Radio. Yeah. News Radio was like, you know, back in that must-see TV era, and everyone remembers Friends and Seinfeld and Mad About You, slightly mm. lesser extent, and uh, Will and Grace. Those are like the big four mm. that were like, anchored NBC in the 90s. News Radio was on pretty much that whole time as well. News Radio had an incredible cast. <laughs> everyone, even Joe Rogan was funny on that show. Yeah. Like everyone had distinct interesting characters. The first basically the the first season's a little rocky, but then pretty much every other episode until Phil Hartman passed away, which he did well uh well, he didn't pass away. He was unfortunately he was killed, but mm. um he uh, uh, every episode he was in was genius, and you can look at any Phil Hartman episode, like like eccentric episode of news radio. Mm. Just look at the episode where he gets a cane. That's the whole episode. 
He gets a cane, not because he needs it, but because it's an affectation and, uh, and it's annoying. And the, yeah, and the Dave Foley character keeps like absconding or ruining his canes. And in yeah, that's it. That's all the episode. There's no, there's nothing else going on. He just gets a cane and is a douche about it, and that's it. He made that gold. <laughs> what a wonderful actor. Wonderful actor. Yeah. Oh my god. R.I.P. Phil Hartman. Seriously. Uh, I think I've time for one more. Okay. Uh, here is a letter uh, from. A, uh, let's see here. You can do it. Yeah, there's, there's no name more. redacted. Um, hello, uh, Whitney Seibold and William Bibiani. Uh, I saw the movie Joe Bell. Uh, I don't know if you saw it. This is a recent film with Mark Wahlberg. Um, oh, okay. It's the story of uh, Jaden Bell's dad, played by Mark Wahlberg. I'll leave it uh, leave it to you if you uh, want to spoil the plot as to who Jaden Bell is, who has a gay son, played brilliantly by Reed Miller, uh, and who walks across America lecturing people about bullying. Okay. Um, the movie is, it's, uh, yeah. Oh, it's screenplay is. by Larry McMurtry. Mm-hmm. Co-wrote that. No shit. That's interesting. Uh, the movie is a bit saccharine and on the nose, but I thought it has its heart in the right place, so I enjoyed it for what it did overall. Its message is essentially, don't treat people like shit because they're different than you, which quite honestly is a lesson many of us learned a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Clearly some people haven't, so you yeah. need to keep saying we, it. We, it's one of those things um, where like you keep repeating it. Like A lot of people are like, I know. A lot of people don't, so we keep saying it. But yeah, it's a, a blue collar guy has a son he loves very much, and mm-hmm. something really horrible happens to his, his gay son, and he mm-hmm. has to sort of uh, start a, le- a essentially a lecture circuit tour. Okay. Um, I was about to write this movie off, calling it "No Shit the Movie," but it dawned on me that there are more than more than enough people on this planet that desperately need to learn this lesson. As obvious as this movie is, I exactly. think that Joe Bell would absolutely play to the very people that need to learn the message the movie presents the most. It. It's preachiness about treating gay people as people didn't come into play until later into the movie after I suspect that certain people have already sided with Mark Wahlberg's character, Joe Bell. Mm. Unfortunately, I know many a homophobe. I think they would see yeah. this movie and get something out of it and possibly touch them in a way that could alter their thinking in which I suspect this movie is shooting for. If that's the case, what I think of the movie from my own perspective is irrelevant, so long as it affects the audience that it is intended for. The movie Joe Bell holds your hand, telling you that you should be kind to others, while some people need to hear that whether they realize it or not. Sounds cliche, but if the movie lands with one person, stripping them of their fear of other humans, I would absolutely consider this movie a success. All of this is preamble to my question, what are some movies that you're not necessarily a fan of or feel that are kind of basic, uh, although you wouldn't necessarily watch on your own, might perhaps do a good job to enlighten or enrich others' lives and put them on the path to becoming better people? Love you guys, love the show, take care of yourselves, even if it means taking a break from time to time. Yeah. Uh, if you feel need, uh, if you feel the need uh, uh, to ask permission to do so, I'm giving it to you now. Thank you. Uh, signed off. A perfect specimen of human morality that has forsaken film and other forms of art and philosophy because I have nothing more to learn about being good. But you can call me PG for short. Hi, PG. Uh, <laughs> thank <laughs> you, PG. Thank you for writing, PG. Uh, re- regarding that last bit, uh, someone mentioned to me on Twitter that uh, other podcasts mm-hmm. sometimes take a few weeks off once in a while. And I literally... Ah, suckers! No, I literally <laughs> like did a quote to him like, you can do that? And a lot of people said, Yeah. You guys make a lot of podcasts and it's okay if you wanted to take a little time off once in a while to like get your bearings and like get your your shit together. And I'm like, shit. So we might actually do that. We might take a week or two off sometime in the near future just to just to see what that's like, because we've been producing (laughs) multiple podcasts and in some cases is more than like five every single week for the Mm. last Several years now. Several yeah. years. I mean, we've been making podcasts for over 10, but on that level of production, for the last several years, we've been mm-hmm. really cranking them out. 
And I always feel like we're not doing enough. It always feels like we're behind because yeah. on uh, some level we are. But uh, we we also, you know, it is a lot. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, maybe a short, you know, detour once in a while to, you know, sleep in <laughs> for a couple of days and catch up yeah, on our we, rest. And and we, yeah, we tend to read record, a book, perhaps. We tend or, to record these late at night. So actually yeah. getting to bed at a decent hour would be uh, uh, for a couple of days would be nice. Yeah. Uh, to address your question, however. Yes, just uh, uh, please. It, it, that's really important. Um. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, you and I already already mentioned this. We're not mm. big fans of uh, the movie Joker. Yeah, uh, we we've, we think it's very aesthetically pleasing, but it's a lot of heavy style and service of some pretty flimsy ideas. Um, however, my my mom took my nephew, who was sixteen or seventeen at the time, mm. to go see Joker, and he got it. Mm, he understood yeah, yeah. That this this sort of way that uh, a system designed to help people with mental illness can fail them and can lead them into mm. being the joker uh, so, it, it's it's trying to connect you know the the failing of a social service yeah. to the superhero universe and again i don't think the movie uh, is great but at least at the very mm. least they wanted to use the delivery system of essentially a Batman movie mm. to try to convey something. Yeah. You and, know? And, and it worked for somebody. And That's it great. worked for somebody. Yeah. My nephew really got it. So yeah. I actually like, I'm still not a huge fan of that movie, but I, I have come to sort of appreciate what it's doing a little bit more sure. in sort of communicating to a, perhaps a teenage audience. Hmm. It's an R rated film, but a teenage audience it's clearly intended to be yeah. like a, to appeal to younger yeah. people. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, that, there is sort of like a, a consequences to the failure of social systems. It's mm. into the sort of like this fictional cartoonish universe at the end. Yeah. But it's now connected back to something in the real world. So it, it actually has like a larger connotation for certain audiences. I don't want to give any leeway to film like films like green book. No, uh, I think and, because there's a difference between trying to convey perhaps a naive message yeah. and conveying it in a way that is counterproductive, which I think is what green book does. And that's yeah, not and, the same thing. And, and you, you and I were recently on uh, Dave white and Alonso Duralde's podcast talking or, or they were on ours. Um, both of those things are happening. Uh, talking about Christmas movies and yeah. you and Alonso are very interested in what's going on in, in Hallmark movies yeah, because they tend to represent maybe like one of the most regressive attitudes in mainstream entertainment. Well, uh, uh, sometimes like regressive, sometimes go, merely milk toast conservative. Right. But yeah. uh, you know, this, these are movies that are incredibly white. Yes. They're incredibly straight. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're all about Christmas, but it's this weird sort of secular American yeah. version it, it, of Christmas. Jesus has very little to yeah. do with Hallmark Christmas. They're more interested in the trappings of it because that's what Hallmark sells. It's what Hallmark sells, but uh, you know, it's also, yeah, part of this uh, very particular part of Americana right. that is kind of lagging way in the back when it comes to progressive attitudes. Mm -hmm. And I understand wanting to track where the back is because if the back is moving, forward it means we're all moving forward yeah um we, we do this, need to we do need people to catch yeah. up once in a while yeah but at the same time i'd, I'd rather be focusing on sort of this may be a, a little bit of a clumsy analogy but the oxen pulling the cart who's up a, who's up at the front making thing making sure things are moving forward mm -hmm. to begin with um so yeah something like green book i'm not going to give quite as much credit to even if it is kind of intended for people who think that you can solve racism by becoming friends with somebody of a different race. 
that yeah. that's not uh, the important not, thing is that this one white guy yeah. figured it out it's, kind of we're gonna tell the story yeah. of this one white guy who, who yeah. was racist who also, and wasn't at the end and who also one, taught one the black, black guy how to yeah. be more black and it's like because mm. he understood it better because it's like no green book mm. no I'm not with you on that <laughs> pass um, I'm actually struggling to think of like specific examples, but there are definitely a lot of just sort of general movies with good messages mm-hmm. that are at the very least harmless and at best might be a halfway decent delivery system for positivity. That's yeah. definitely a um that's definitely a thing. I was trying to think if there was something else that it reminded me of. Mm-hmm. Um Oh, uh the the idea of uh sort of the message movie in general. I want to give a shout out to a really wonderful quote. I've quoted this before uh from Glauder Glenz who oh, yeah. uh, did this truly epic. And I think it's a good example of this actually. It's a, they did a truly epic video essay about the Ed Wood film Glenn or Glenda, mm-hmm. which was intended by Ed Wood to be an incredibly progressive uh, look at uh, queerness in mm. the, I think it was the 50s, and uh, in particular uh, trans issues, but also, uh, 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 yeah, basically all, all forms of uh, that. And um, mm. in many respects, you watch the movie, and yeah, it actually is very much ahead of its time in terms of its attitudes. It's also... Uh, the product of a very pulpy, grindhousey production studio that wanted to add a bunch of random shit that just well, would, they thought it, would it, sell it. It also comes at a time when um, the vocabulary for communicating uh, the trans experience wasn't wasn't, wasn't part of the vernacular vernacular yet, and it was really. It, I would say in a kind of a clumsy but an incredibly earnest way, yeah, uh, and an incredibly honest way, try to communicate those things. Exactly. And uh, Glider Glenn something something, and they said it so eloquently. I actually like screen. I, mm. I like. Yeah, I, I, I screen. I screen cap this, and I keep this on my desktop because mm. I think it's such. It's so well well put uh, because it's about messages in mm. movies when you have a message that is overt. And what they said was subtlety is seen as a virtue only to those who can afford to be subtle. Or by those who wish for a film's message to be so subtle that they can just tune it out. Mm. And they continued, quote, keep your politics out of my entertainment, unquote, Mm. say the people who benefit the most from complacency. So if you have a message that is important, making it clear and making it something that people can actually digest and understand and actually like take with them, Mm. that's not a problem. That's not yeah. fundamentally a problem anyway. It's not like in here, like, oh, you have to be subtle about your messaging. No one ever, not, that, that's never actually been a rule. Yeah. It's a guideline that was actually promoted in the middle of the 20th century. And this is actually true by the CIA because they wanted to get they, they people. They went into film schools and actually yeah, encouraged this was, a certain kind of filmmaking. This was at the time of like the Red Scare in Hollywood. And there was like all the McCarthyism and everything like that. And they were worried that Hollywood movies that preached like way out their ideas, like, Hey, sharing is pretty good. And uh, hey, maybe like businesses that exploit people aren't the good guys. Um, They wanted to tamp down on that. And they didn't want movies to be about overt messaging because movies have a lot of power to convince people of things. And that's a power that we only want to reserve to 24-hour cable news stations. Cough. It's it's gone way out of control It's gone way out of control. uh, But but that's the point. You, You look at like, oh... So you want, like, messaging to be subtle? Mm. Then how the fuck is Fox making all that money? Because yeah. they're not... That's all they do. Is they, they, so, like, scre- they scream these dumb points over so and over again. So I'm not going to complain that a movie uh, is, is overt in its messaging, especially yeah. if the message is kind. 
That's yeah. not so bad, well, is it? And, you know? And I haven't seen this Joe Bell movie, yeah. but I, I hope yeah. if it's done, if you feel that it is that positive, I hope it's that good. Maybe it is. And the idea that someone will only be convinced if you help them along gently is also kind of a misnomer as well. I think yeah. it's I think it's possible to sit a, a bigot down in front of a Spike Lee movie, mm-hmm. and they will hear that because and you know if if you're talking about a subtle filmmaker, Spike Lee isn't that. Never has been. Uh, no, and he he's very deliberately isn't that. He's going mm-hmm. to make his point with a hammer, and uh, I, I think being able to outwardly like be boldly confrontational about things about your point about Mm. your politic about the point you're trying to make can be just as if not sometimes more powerful than trying to sort of smooth it into something that's a little bit more palatable yeah like if you try to smooth something into something that's palatable you run the risk of making it go down easy you run the risk of making it just like a glass of warm milk or something well, and, like that. And, and it's not going to, it's to, not going to make an impact. To, to go back to Gladder Glenn's uh, yeah. quotation there. You don't want people to tune it out. Yeah. She pointed out that you're not supposed to be so subtle that you can, you can tune it out. Yeah. It's not, try, it's, try to be subtle to the point that you actually taste it. Which is, brings us back to a point we had earlier in, the, in this exact episode where we talk about sometimes films aren't about the plot. Sometimes the plot is there, but it's not just about conveying the plot efficiently. Sometimes the message is way more important. Hmm. And the plot can take a back seat to that for a while if we need to actually discuss yeah, something yeah. real. And that is not bad storytelling. Hmm. So, yeah. Anyway, um, that's a really thoughtful... Thank you for bringing that up. That's a really interesting conversation. I'm glad we were able to have it a bit. And hmm. Obviously, we're only touching the surface of this. These are big issues that arise in art. And people have been having complicated conversations about them for forever. You and, sure and you can continue find, to do so. You can find uh, plenty yeah, of fascinating as, essays as, about these things online. Yeah, no, uh, and as, as film changes and as audiences change, that the topic will continue to evolve. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in any case, thank you everybody for listening. If you want to write in to a future episode of We've Got Mail, it's really easy. Just email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Once again, that's letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. And uh, yeah, we, again, we don't have time to read every email. Mm. We're very, very grateful for all the emails that we have. I know Whitney reads them all. It's just we don't have time to cover all of them yeah, on the show. Uh, but uh, feel free to email us again if you write us something that's very, very important or if it's super-duper timely and it's like mm. we have the, like someone's birthday's coming up. we got to get this out there. Uh, you know, Send us a tweet. That might help. Just let us put it at the top of the pile. Mm. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I, myself, am at William Bibiani. I am at Whitney Seibold. Uh, we also have a P.O. box if anyone wants to send us a, a snail mail. A few people have. Mm. It's very kind of you. Uh, Whitney, tell them about their P.O. Uh, box. Yeah, right into the P- our, our post office box. Uh, just right into the Critically Acclaimed Network. It's P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yep. And, um, oh, and uh, don't forget, uh, if you haven't signed up for our Patreon, mm-hmm. uh, I know not everyone can afford to, but... And, uh, and it's okay. It's oh, okay. Totally. We, we adore our patrons, yes. but we also don't want to make things bad for people. No, uh, no, we no, know, no. We know We know what it's like to be destitute. No, no, so, we... Yeah. <laughs> At the moment, actually. But uh, seriously, everyone who's who's contributing to the Patreon is helping keep this show alive. Mm-hmm. We would not be able to do this show if it wasn't for our patrons. So for those of you who can contribute and have been, 
please accept our very sincere thank yous. Uh, we hope you're enjoying the exclusive shows that we have on our Patreon. Shows like uh, All Our Yesterdays, we're reviewing every single Star Trek ever. We just had a preview episode of that up on this main feed for free. Uh, we have uh, all our uh, Only the Best, where we're reviewing every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. We got a new episode of Holy Batman coming out. Uh, and uh, also commentary tracks and uh, hangouts and polls to help decide future content and... Um, it's a lot, and we try to we, we we try to make it worth your while. So thank you, everybody who who has signed up and is enjoying the shows, and it means the world to us. Yeah. You mean the world to us. We're incredibly grateful for you to be here. Thank you, mm. thank you for listening. Thank you for just going about your life and trying your best every day. That's all anyone can do. Uh, so that's it for us. Thank mm. you once again. Sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney. And me too. Yeah. Thank you.